do have a Bible. And I would ask you this morning to open it and not rely on the screen. If you've got a pen, take it out. Underline the verse. Write the date beside it. And say in your heart before God, Lord, here I am. Speak to me. Touch me. Fill me. Change me. And equip me to go and make a difference. Because I'm not letting go till you bless me. Psalm 60. To the chief musician upon Shushan Edoeth. Mitchtim of David to teach when he strove with Aram Naharam and with Aram Zoba when Joab returned and smote of Edom in the valley of Salt 12,000. You need an anointing just to read that opening scripture, don't you? We'll look at that in a minute. But we'll get through it all right, bless God. O God, thou hast cast us off, thou hast scattered us, thou hast been displeased. O turn thyself to us again. Thou hast made the earth to tremble. Thou hast broken it. Heal the breaches thereof, for it shaketh. Thou hast showed thy people hard things. Thou hast made us to drink the wine of astonishment. Now focus here. Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee or reverence and worship thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Selah. Or stop and think about it. That thy beloved may be delivered. Save with thy right hand and hear me. Let your eye run down to verse 11. Give us help from trouble. For vain is the help of man. Or useless and even destructive. Or idolatry is the help of man. Through God we shall do valiantly. For he it is that shall tread down our enemies. And we know this morning the Lord will add a blessing to the reading of his own precious word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning in my weakness and in my inability. And you know every heart that's bowed in your presence. Our desire, Lord, is to be real with you. To experience you in a real way. We have seen your hand bless and undertake and do great things amongst us. And Lord, we are thankful. But we ask you to make a difference this morning. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come right now and touch every heart. And to take these words and make them your own. That we might leave here able, ready, stirred up to do that which you've called us to do. Raise up a banner. Show us what you have given us and teach us to use it for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. I've called these few thoughts this morning and we'll not get through anywhere near it. I know that. So we'll go as the Lord leads. But I've called the thoughts this morning two simple words War flag. War flag. You'll see why in a wee minute. But let's look at what this psalm means. Very briefly to set the scene for you. He says to the chief musician on Shushan Adoth. Shushan means lily. And Adoth means a psalm of instruction. And really read together it means this. It is the lily of testimony. When David wrote this psalm, he was referring to its beauty. But he was referring to it 
It's teaching. There's only one other lily psalm, if you like, in Psalm 45, when he talks about the kingly warrior going out to war. And here in Psalm 60, he's dividing the spoil and bringing the testimony of God to the people. And who knows what's in the mind of a musician when they compose songs? You'd have to ask Gary about that. But he gives it this title of Lily. And down through the the ages, war songs were always symbolized with lilies or roses. Perhaps because they speak of love and loss or of passion and lament. I don't know. Perhaps because David was looking at the richness and the purity of what God was showing him. But he calls it a mitchtum. The mitchtum means not only poet or poem or psalm, but it means engraved, indelible, permanent, inscribed mark set before the people in order to teach. So when David wrote this psalm, it was to be rehearsed in front of the people. It was to be a permanent thing because there was a message within it that God's people need not stray away from. And that's what this word means. David was faithful to teach Israel to continually rehearse in their ears the testimonies of God. Because that's what that word testimony means. Do it again, God. Whenever you read this word and you see God move, that's your father in action. He's no respecter of persons. So that's your family album. That's your story. If he could do it in them, he can do it in you. He wanted to move then. And he still wants to move now. So that's why David rehearses. He says, remember God. Remember what he's done. Remember who he is. And let's go out and do the same. And so David writes this psalm. Because the works of God are not done in a corner. So they shouldn't be buried in silence. We need to stoke our faith with these things this morning. And the psalm comes in three simple sections. The, the opening is the heartache, if you like, verse 1 to 3. Then he moves into hope in 48. And he finishes the psalm with heartfelt prayer and triumph. You see, the situation that David's in when he takes over here is in the days of Saul, there had been strife internally and his reign had finished in disaster, as you know, at Gilboa. And David took on a kingdom full of division within and attack without. He had problems within that people couldn't stay together and he had problems without that they were attacked by their enemies on every side. And we talked, one of the last times I spoke to you about David's rise to power and how much of a struggle that was. And now he's here and the struggle's just starting again. And so David opens up the psalm by saying, Oh God, thou hast cast us off. Now remember when you read these things, you've got to filter them through the new covenant. We're in Christ this morning. God has not cast you off, nor has he ever any intention of casting you off. That's the old covenant. But you've got to understand where we're coming from and the situation that David was in. Because David wanted to restore righteousness to the kingdom, and his type of politics was putting God in the middle. And that's the type of politics we need in our country. Amen? Amen. So he says, oh God, thou hast cast us off. He's saying, we need you, God. He realized that God to turn to his people and his people to turn to God was more important than learning to fight better, having bigger resources, or even wisdom in command. The worst possible thing can ever happen to a person is to be cast off by God. 
Well, there's one other thing that's worse than that. Do not realize you have been. Do not realize he's gone. If you're in Christ this morning, you're never cast off. Are you saved this morning? Or are you living your life every day, not knowing what a day may bring, not right with him, cast off? If that's you, the word of God to your life right now, plain and simple, is come to me and get saved. Get right with me. That's where life begins. David says in verse 2, Thou hast made the earth to tremble. You see, nothing was stable in David's life at this point in time. The priests had been murdered by Saul. The worst men were put into office and government. Military power had been broken down by the Philistines. And there was revolts and unrest and chaos amongst the people. And just as the earth begins to crack open and give way in an earthquake, so David says, my world is trembling. Do you ever feel that way? Like it's falling apart? None of us ever do that, sure we don't. Not that we'll let on anyway. Do you ever feel like you've put your weight on something and expected it to hold and it's just moved? Do you ever trust in something you never thought would change and it starts to shift? That's how David's feeling. He says, God, will you heal the breaches thereof? A breach is a fracture. It's a break. The idea is a crashing action. That's caused a breach. Caused a break. It speaks of the word vexation. Which is a big word for something simple. It means to be continually worried. Continually annoyed. Harassed and troubled. Unable to move on from things that have happened in the past. You've got a breach in your life. It even gives the idea of a deep hurt. Or even a ruined dream. And that's how the people of Israel felt here. We've been wounded so much. I don't know if I can dream anymore, God. I don't know if I can lift my heart to really hope this time. He says, for it shaketh. His world had been shaken. Was cast out of course. Ready to fall away. Only the divine intervention of God upon a nation could preserve it. Perhaps in your own personal life this morning, you feel tried so sore that just like the house that's shaken by the earthquake, you feel like it's all ready just to come down. Doesn't get any better in verse 3 when David says, Thou hast shown thy people hard things. The word hard here is the word karseth. It means tough and severe and sore, but it means obstinate. It means something that has come against you and you've pushed against it and you've pressed against it and you've prayed against it and you've worshipped through it and you've kept going and it isn't moving. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. He says you've made us to drink the wine of astonishment. He says we're staggering and we're trembling like our feet's about to give way. You see, even at times, the righteous drink a cup of trembling even the greatest of apostles even the Lord himself was exceedingly sorrow as on to death but this had become their daily diet 
There's not time this morning to talk about healing the breaches. It requires the grace of God, the undeserved favor of God to know what is available to you. It requires the wisdom of God to know what to do with what God has given you. And it requires the power of God. You see, we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. But how do you manifest them in earthly ones? The point of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is to make you before men what God says you are before him. There is no power like unto the Holy Spirit this morning. Make no mistake, he is gentle, but he is a consuming fire. And nothing and no one can stand before him. He has been shed abroad at Pentecost. God has not taken him back. The comforter has come. What we have to learn is how to reverence him, how to seek him, how to yield to him, how to let him lead our lives. Whether it's in a church meeting, whether it's in our homes, our workplaces, our daily lives. Our whole role in life is to host his presence. Until that becomes the most important thing, the devil's still going to come and eat your lunch, for want of a better expression. Not because God isn't God, but because where's our hearts and minds fixed? We've got to be possessors and not just professors of the word. We've got to take him seriously. We've got to remember the pedigree that we came from. If I said to you this morning, can you name some of the revivals even in the last hundred years in this country? And we, we don't know. We've forgotten what God's doing right now. Miracles and signs and wonders are something that we read in the book and we think are maybe possible, but they're not on our fingertips and they're not on our lips. God hasn't changed. We have changed. An old proverb says, prepare an army for a thousand years if only to fight for one day. We've got to live our lives prepared. It's too late in the day of battle when things are all going wrong to try and go and find the faith. We need to be living in that place with renewed minds. How do I know when my mind is renewed? When the supernatural appears logical because we're walking with God, our minds are renewed. It's like, how many people have ever heard of the Spartans? There's a few films about it. Yeah. They were Greek warriors. From the day they were born, they took a baby and they stuck it on a mountain on its own for three days. And if it died of hypothermia, it was weak. These boys didn't mess about you, didn't From that child was born till he died, he was groomed for battle. We talk about living a Spartan lifestyle. That's what it means. No comfort, no softness. These guys get up, they trained, they exercised, they drilled, they prepared, they fought. You were weak, you were lost. That's what, that was their whole mindset. But you see, when these guys turned up for battle, everybody cleared out. Because they weren't mucking about. And 300 of them put tens of thousands to flight. Because they were 300 warriors that were dedicated that were committed, that were real, that were ready. See, here's the thing. Do you know what God says about you? One of you, put a thousand to flight. Two of you, ten thousand. That's what he thinks of you this morning. That's the resources he's put at your disposal, every single one of you, and me. 
But really, how many people go to war without preparing, without counting the cost, without being determined to win? I don't know about you. I don't like to lose. Ever. Especially when he's already won. Time for a change. So it's looking a wee bit grim, isn't it? Everybody's going a bit, hmm. Okay, yeah. First sort of three verses here starting to sound like a good country song. No offence to anybody that loves country. I know there's people here that adamantly love both types of music, country and western. (laughs) And please, for the sake of the CD, I'm only joking, before the complaints come in and Ken's Facebook lights up like a Christmas tree. But, you know, you ever heard that, you know, I lost my dog and my pickup and the crops died and it was all very bad and you play the song backwards, you get a happy song. Okay. So it's sounding grim because that was the reality of the situation that they were in. All right? Now, watch the change when God steps in. Verse 4. Thou hast given a banner to them that reverence thee. In the midst of it all, the Lord steps in and he calls them back to himself And he commissions his servants for service. And he presents them with a standard to be used for his wars. And he says, this is your rallying point. This is the proof that I have sent you. And this is the guarantee of your victory. You see, when God's in it, you can't lose. So it doesn't matter how the situation looks if God's in it. God said Joseph was a prosperous man. Joseph had nothing but trouble all his life. His brothers betrayed him and he got threw into a pit and he got sold into slavery and then they thought he was committing adultery and they booked him into prison. And nothing looked like he was going to be groomed for a palace to be the second in command of the greatest nation in the world within a day. Nobody prepares a king in a prison, but God did. If God's in it, you can't lose. You see... God laughs at his enemies because he doesn't have any. We have enemies. God doesn't have any. He's supreme. Remember listening to Smith Wigglesworth and he was walking down the street and this wee Jack Russell dog came out and snipping at his heels and barking and yapping and he's just walking on until he'd had enough of it. He turned around, get away out of my road. And the wee dog's tail went between his legs and God spoke to him and said, that's how you deal with the devil. And Wigglesworth started to laugh and he says, and that's how I treat my enemies. Laugh at them. God's bigger than it all. It's time to turn and say to the wee dog that's yapping at your heels, get out of my boat. Do you not know who lives in me? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No weapon fashioned against me will prosper. In all things we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors means you brought a stick to a tank fight. It's like you sitting in an armored tank and somebody coming against you with a wooden stick. You have more than enough. Do you believe it this morning? Do you believe it? Do I believe it? I believe it this morning. The word banner here is the word ness, and it comes from the word nosas. It's used 20 times in the Old Testament, but it doesn't just mean banner. When you read that famous scripture, his banner over me is love. It's a word degel, and it literally means flag and emblem. That's not this word. This word's only used in the context of a banner one other time. 
in Isaiah 13 and 2. Now listen to what the word banner means. Home in on this. If you're taking notes, write it down. It means to gleam from afar off, like a mirror in the sun. Have you ever played that wee game with your watch where you're trying to get the sun to reflect off it and stick it in the somebody's face? Have you ever done that? I've done that. And they blind them and they can't see. You can't avoid it. You've got to take notice of it. It's right in your face. God's banner. It's the idea of a flag at full sail fluttering in the wind. It's conspicuous as a signal. Or in other words, it's highly noticeable. It's easily seen. It's there. God says, here I am. Right in front of you. No bones about it. No holds barred. It also means the rallying point or the place to gather, the place to focus. It means to be lifted as an ensign. Angela would probably know what I'm talking about. Anybody who's been in the Navy would know what an ensign is. The ship runs up its signal, its sign. Kneel your colours to the mast. Ever heard of that? Give me an ensign. Show me who you are. So when the pirate ship run up the skull and crossbones, it was saying, this is who we are. God's saying, this is who I am. And I'm here to show you who I am. And finally, well, it means token or guarantee of victory. And it means this. And I want, this is all I think we'll get through this morning, but I want to focus on this. It means a standard carried by standard bearers. And that word standard means war flag. War flag. God says, it's all going country song. I've given you a war flag. Now rise up and let's go. So what does the word standard mean? A standard is something set up and established by an authority having a recognized and permanent value. It's a symbol of power, authority. It's a hallmark. So if you don't know what I'm talking about by standard this morning, standard could have been, God bless you. You were only trying to say amen, I know that. Praise God. A standard was a symbol, a flag, an emblem. It could be personal to a family or it could be the herald for a kingdom. Okay? It represented the liege lord and the king of the kingdom and it carried all his backing and authority. So when you went to war flying the king's colors, all the resources of the king were at your disposal because it was his name you were representing. Does that make sense? Okay. So many great armies carried standards. Several famous battles were fought only over the head of them. Some of the most famous ones were the Romans. They used to carry these big golden eagles. Have you ever seen that in films? There's a big tall pole with a golden eagle on the head of it. And every legion had one. And these were the symbol of Rome. Rome's power, Rome's authority. And many a time, legions would fight to the death to a single man to protect that standard. Because to lose it meant you had lost on behalf of your king. They would fight to a man. In fact, they even invaded the Celts, as it were, at the time. They crossed the ocean and invaded the Celts to get a standard back. They lost a battle and Caesar went, well, you better go and start a war. You better go and invade a whole country and get that standard back because that standard represents me. And that's what they had to do because they were ambassadors for their kingdom. You see, an ambassador represents the king. So when the legions of Rome tipped up and started a ruckus, they went, we've got all the backing of Rome. This is who we are. Here's our standard. 
This morning, you're carrying the standard of the king. He's given you a banner. So everywhere we go, every place the sole of our feet tread, we walk with the backing of the king. As I've got the banner. God says, I'm with you. Go and preach my word. I'll back you up. Go and pray. What if nothing happens? I told you to go and pray. Stop trying to do my bit. Go and do what you're meant to do. I'm afraid. Because the world's big and scary out there. I'm bigger and scarier. Go and do what I told you to do. Because you've got my backing. You've got my banner. You see, when the enemies of Rome saw that standard coming, they feared because they knew what to expect. Because these legions were merciless. They took no prisoners. They left nobody behind. They wiped you out. You got in the way of Rome, they went through you for a shortcut. That was it. So when you raise a standard, it says to everybody that sees it, this is what you can expect. So what's God's standard? What is this banner that David says we've been given? You see, when the angels announce, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, or God with us. God was saying, "As my banners arrive now. That's my signal. That's my ensign. That's my standard. When John the Baptist went, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. When Jesus rose from the waters of baptism, and all heaven declared, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. When his glory burst forth from him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Because he could contain it no more. And God the Father said, this is him. My beloved son, hear ye him. God was unfurling his banner. When he walked the Via Dolorosa, the lonely hill of Golgotha, bruised and broken and bleeding in body and in heart, when they pierced him and they nailed him to a cross and they dropped it into its stand and they stood there and looked at him suspended between heaven and earth on a Roman cross, the God who had made both the heavens and the earth. God was lifting the ultimate standard. He was unfurling the perfect banner. He was sending out the clearest signal there could possibly be as to what to expect from him. It sent a signal to heaven it's painful. My people go free. It sent a signal to hell. You're finished. You have no right to touch my people anymore. And it sent the signal to earth. Come. All ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. I am all that you need. Come. God's banner. You see, when you're under that banner, you can expect hope. Hope's a confident expectation of good. You can expect redemption. You can expect mercy. You can expect grace. You can expect to be saved. What does that mean? Salvation full and free. But above all, you can expect to be loved. Let me tell you something this morning. Each and every one of us has been unworthy has been undeserving, has been unfaithful, but we have never been unloved. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. Oh, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called what? 
should be called what? Sons of God. That's got to mean something. Calvary's got to mean something. What does it mean to you and me today to be a child of God? You see, I love you. That's what Calvary said. It's the hymn writer wrote, I love you, written in red. When we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. God commendeth his love towards us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That word commendeth means, I'll come and stand beside you. I'm perfect and I'm holy and I'm almighty. And you're ugly and in your sin and your depravity. And you don't even know that I exist. And you don't love me and you don't care about me and you don't even want me. But I'm going to come and stand in the midst of your mess and love you back to life. Honor. If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Come unto me, all ye labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Know you're accepted this morning. Don't let the devil beat you up anymore. Just as you are without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me and as thy bids me come to thee Lamb of God I come now note this one because this should change our lives it says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree read Deuteronomy 28 and see what the blessings are when there's no curse on your life See, you're blessed going in, you're blessed coming out, and you're blessed in the field, and you're blessed in the town, and you're blessed in the storehouse, and you're blessed in your basket, and you're blessed in your health, and you're blessed in your family. That scripture tells me Christ fulfilled that law. So that's how God sees me. So what's the only thing can stop that from manifesting in my life? Is unbelief. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. All my sins were laid on the bleeding lamb. So let me ask you, if you're forgiven completely this morning, if God ain't angry with you anymore, if God's called you a son or a daughter, and God has given you complete access into his presence, that's got to change something. That's got to change something. When Paul wrote that, what he was able to do, we were able to do. Time's flying this morning. I could talk to you about the peace of God, the eternal life of God. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. You can expect eternal life. So whatever you're going through in this life, and however hard the battle is, you're only passing through This is not our kingdom. We are pilgrims and strangers. We're going to his kingdom. The mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Take out your heart this morning. You're struggling. God will not take his kindness from you. Sight, speech, 
hearing may be departing, feeling may almost be gone. Maybe you're losing your loved ones. But the loving, the loving kindness of God will never, ever depart. And he will raise them up at the last day. It's not over. We're only passing through. There's many things about the banner we don't have time for. There's a rallying point carried by the standard bearer. It was the organizational flag. It was given by an honor to the bravest of warriors, to those that were fearless. That's how God sees you this morning. He's trusted you with the flag of his son. If you fear God, you need fear no one else. But the standard bearer showed the enemy where to attack. The archers drew back and let fly at the standard. Because if they could recapture the standard, they could take the heart of the people. Another meaning for this word ness is something lifted up to which you may flee from the bow. Flee from the arrows. See, the Romans fought to the death to protect their standard. And for many in the world today, they're fighting to the death for the Lord. They're being tortured and they're being killed for their faith. We're getting it easy, aren't we? But here's the difference. Our banner fought to the death for us. That we can live in his victory and from his victory. Jesus fought the fight that we couldn't fight. See, the cross wasn't God's plan B. It was only God's plan A. Jesus' blood wasn't spilt. It was shed. See, the banner was given. We haven't got time to go into it this morning, but the word given is the word Nathan. Like my wee nephew. He's looking at me there. Yeah, Nathan. And we all said, you can't call him Nathan. You had to call him something. But Nathan means given. But it also means appointed sent out, fastened, and lifted up. There's the gospel in a word. Gospel in a word. It was appointed in due time before the foundation of the world that Christ saw you. And he came and he paid that price. So there has to be a plan and a destiny and an importance for your life. Do you believe there is? He was sent out to die. Emptied himself, the great stoop, bankrupted heaven to go to the cross to be this banner he was pierced and nailed to a cross that's got to mean something more than just going to church more than just singing hymns or reading wee verses it's got to change lives see if Satan had realized what was happening he never would have crucified the Lord Because there on the cross, Satan defeated the accuser. I'm going to stop at this. But it says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. The legal document of the rules and judgments where we had failed. They were contrary to us. He took them out of the way, nailing it 
to his cross. So whatever the Lord, whatever God thinks of the Lord Jesus this morning, he thinks of you. Because you're perfectly righteous in him. Having spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them, openly triumphing over them in it. So more or less, the banner that God has given me this morning says, everything Mark Anderson failed on, everything he did wrong, every wrong thought, every mistake, every lapse, I took it and I nailed it to the cross. Every opposition that was going to come against him, every defeat was going to come into his life, I triumphed over it openly. And I made it look like nothing. That's how big the victory of Christ's is this morning. He defeated them. But that will mean nothing if we still have a small God in our mind and a big devil. It doesn't mean a thing unless we believe it and do something with it. You are free. You are accepted. You are blessed. No more condemnation. Stop beating yourself up. Your past is wiped out. Live for today. You are the beloved of God. Precious to him. Accepted by him. He's longing to move in your life and give you an abundance. He's calling you into spiritual things. To rise up and challenge how things are. And change it. Not in your strength, but in his. He just wants a heart that's available. That's committed. That's sincere. That's putting him first. That wants to live for him. What are we doing if not that? If we're just punching a card, what's the point? If we'd rather be somewhere else, so you'd rather get home for your dinner and watch the TV, is that our God? I'm not condemning anybody. I'm hungry for him. Don't want to play about with this thing anymore. Don't want to see anybody else getting wiped out anymore. If it's there, let's have it. Let's do something with it. We've got to know him and walk in our identity and our intimacy and bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Paul said in Ephesians 1, know the hope of your calling. Know the hope of the invitation that's been given to you by God. The riches of your inheritance and the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. There is exceeding greatness of the almighty power of God towards you who believe. But the word belief means a room, a house with no empty rooms. Sure. Completely sure. Belief. The only other thing I want to say as we close, and it's important for us, there's lots of things that banners mean and we didn't get to look at how they're displayed and all those types of things. But listen to this. The banner brought people together. You and me need to stay together. Because in times of war, you rally to the flag. Will you say amen? The unity of believers that comes through God's love is the greatest tool for evangelism the church will ever have. Let me say that again. The unity of believers that comes through God's love is the greatest tool for evangelism the church will ever have. As old St. Augustine said, in essentials, unity. You can't compromise the word of God. In non-essentials, freedom. But in all things, 
charity, love. And things non-essential, everybody has an opinion. Because opinions are like armpits, you know. Everybody has one, some of them stink. But we have to respect each other. And things non-essential. And in all things, love. See, when the Romans went to war and they were getting it tight, standard went in the middle and they formed around it. And they formed what they called a tortoise shell. They linked the shields. Right round. The guys in the middle put the shields over the top. And it was like a tortoise shell because it couldn't be penetrated. Fire all the arrows you like. Throw all the spears you like. We're staying tight. We're staying close to the standard. Stay together. Pray for each other. Love each other. What's God put in your heart? Let's work together to see it come to pass. There's talents in this room. There's abilities in this room. There's giftings in this room. There's callings and anointings in this room. Use them. Just because you can't do what that person can do doesn't mean that you're not important. It just means you need to find your niche. It's like, it doesn't mean a fish is stupid because it can't climb a tree. Put it in the water and see what happens. In the water, it's a genius. Find your niche. Find your calling. Find your purpose and serve him because he loves you. And he's going to use you if you'll let him. And let's take the battle to the enemy, not the other way around. What does God's people say? Sorry I've kept you a wee bit longer, but I felt it was important. Gary, can you come up? And let's enter into a time of worship before we go home.